Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here on this 4th of July weekend. Everybody ready for the 4th tomorrow? Got a lot of plans. And welcome all the high schoolers here for this next term from from the camp just down the road. Come on, church. Why don't you welcome them? Thanks for coming. So we're we're going to do a little series. The rest of One Chapel communities are continuing on with the series community, Um, but we're going to take just a little divergent path for the next six weeks, and it's coming out of something that I think started last Sunday and the week before that God was stirring in my own heart. Um, and we, were, we have a thing here on Thursday mornings where uh, the staff comes together to pray and some of the spiritual lead team come and, and we were just praying over um, different things that are going on in people's lives. We come together to pray for the church and pray for you as individuals and the things that are happening in people's lives. And, and so uh, a week ago, so not this last Thursday, but Thursday before, we are praying for people who are struggling in their marriages and people who are struggling in different relational issues and struggling with addictions and struggling with um, sicknesses and diseases and people who are struggling over different losses and heartaches and situations that had caused violation. And as we were praying there um, a week and a half ago, I, was, I found myself just crying out to God saying, God, it's not, we don't just need you to expose things in our life. Now, we need God to expose things in our life, right? But as well, we need God to heal those things that he exposes in our life. And I was reminded of Psalms chapter 30, verse 2, which says, O Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. From my perspective, 2015, for so many people, and even coming into the first part of 2016, it seems like so many people have been ravaged by junk and situations and things that were going in their, up in their lives. And it was just causing this, this turmoil, this upheaval, if you will, that was happening in people's lives throughout 2015, the beginning part of this year. And things were being exposed and things were coming to light But as well, there's all this heartache and all this junk that was kind of coming out, also coming up during that same time. And like I said, it's one thing for things to be exposed. It's a whole other thing for God to actually heal those things that come into our hearts. And I want you to listen to um, what happened to a pastor friend of mine up in Wisconsin. Listen to this. It was our farewell Sunday. The church was packed, and many of us shed tears, and we were honored far beyond words by a loving congregation. That Sunday morning, our entire family stood on the platform as we were blessed by kids and words and gifts from our church family. We were all there, my wife, Duran, and I, along with our son, Scott, Wade, and Brent, ages 18, 11, and 7. I thought to myself, how could life be more perfect than it is at this very moment? It was like being on cloud nine. Our home had sold, and we had packed our belongings for the coming week. We were ready to move on to a quaint little river town tucked away in the hills of western Wisconsin. One more worship service that evening, and we would be on our way to a new adventure. Sunday evening service arrived. It would be brief, encouraging, and emotional as final goodbyes were spoken. We would then walk out the door one last time. Then something most strange happened. During our worship time, I noticed the back doors open. Two sullen-faced policemen stood there. A concerned deacon slipped into the foyer to listen to their concern. Soon the deacon came to the back of the door and waved for me to come. His face was ashen. 
I remember thinking, oh no, who in our church family has suffered trauma? My mind bounced from family to family. The police officers took me aside. I will never forget the horror of what followed. It was as close to hell as a human could ever go. One officer said, your son Scott was involved in a horrible accident. I began to cry out, where is he? What hospital did, did you take him to? I went to raise, to race to the side to be sure he'll be fine. The officer's next statement literally tore my heart from my chest. He said he didn't make it. Oh, the pain of those words. How do you tell a wife her son is gone? What do you say to two young brothers who idolize their older brother? Duran, Wade, and Brent nearly collapsed. I was asked to drive the five miles to the hospital emergency room and identify my dead son. Those five miles were indescribably torturous. I drove only 30 miles per hour. I was so afraid to go see his lifeless body traumatized by the horror of an ugly wreck. I cried, I screamed, I prayed, God, please, please, please let this be a mistake. Let it not be my boy. The nurse took me into the room where Scott lay. I'll never, never forget. I picked up his precious, lifeless hand and held it. I, I went numb. I'll never forget the horrible explosion in my heart at that moment. I felt as if my heart had been literally torn out of my chest. If only it could have been me, not Scott. The days that followed were so tough, I would see Scott's face everywhere. Dreams and nightmares followed. It just could not be true. As a funeral approached, I knew only God's grace could get us through it. As Duran and I stood by Scott, Scott's closed casket for the evening of visitation, hundreds of friends came. The sympathy line stretched out the funeral home and then up the street for a block or more. Standing there, I thought I would die and prayed I could. I was so numb, even to the kind words of so many friends. The day of the funeral arrived. God gave us a significant measure of strength and grace and peace to face some of the toughest hours of our lives. I was calm. Only God could get us through this day. The funeral was held at Scott's High School Auditorium where he was to graduate in two short weeks. The funeral was overwhelming. About 12,000 family members, friends, and students attended. Scott's whole football team came dressed in their jerseys to honor him. Members of our family and his team had the heartbreaking honor to care, of carrying his body one final time. Somehow God gave me the grace to briefly speak at his funeral. All I could do was thank people and tell anyone there who did not know Christ as Savior to give their lives to Jesus. Some did. We heard numerous reports of people making a decision for salvation. Scott was blessed with a very special athletic ability. He was an all-state football player. Scott had a major role in leading his team to the state championships the previous fall. He had the joy of playing in the Wisconsin Badger Stadium in Madison, Wisconsin, for the state championship game. What a kick. Scott scored the first touchdown and had a great game. We were so proud. Scott was being pursued by nearly 20 colleges to play football. He was a gifted wide receiver and defensive back. All of those dreams were now gone. Two weeks later, we attended Scott's would-be high school graduation. Duran and I went to support his friends and classmates. For me, graduation was rougher than the funeral. His empty chair haunted me. The graduation speaker made frequent references to him. I wept. There were no words to describe the agony of that event. All you can do when your dreams are shattered is to tie a knot in life's rope and hang on to Jesus with every ounce of strength you have. It works. I could write dozens more events surrounding Scott's death, but the space does not allow. As time went by, the deep pain of loss really set in. Our entire family grieved for an extended period of time. I never knew a person's heart could hurt so badly. We thought we would never live through this dark season of grief. The pain was inexplicably excruciating. I think so many of us can relate 
to this hurt and this heartache. Maybe for some of you, it, it is the loss of a person. It, maybe for you, it's a tragedy that you've experienced in your life. Maybe for you, it's dealing with sickness and disease. Maybe for you, it's divorce or relational brokenness or heartache. And over these past months, as, as I have been here, I think what I've discovered is that I've heard so many of your stories, and so I think it is true. We need healing. And so over the next several weeks, I want to introduce you to the ultimate healer, Jesus Christ, because he is really, sometimes he is the only one that can touch the core to our souls and our lives and actually produce healing for us to be able to move forward in what he has for our lives. In Psalms 103, verse 1. It says, all that I am, praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagle. See, this is who God is, folks. This is who he is, and this is what he wants to do in our lives. And so to start things off here this morning, I want to read the story of Lazarus. How many of you are familiar with the story of Lazarus? Let me see your hands here. All right, get your Bibles out and turn with me to John chapter 11. This is where the story is. John chapter 11, and we're going to start here in verse 1. John chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who had anointed the Lord with a, f- a fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you and you are going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sake that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may that, that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she had heard these, that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went away and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was at the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, following her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, how, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha came to the tomb. It was a cave. Sorry, Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a a stench, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to him, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me because of the people who are standing by. I said this that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Now, I want you to try to picture what's happening here in this story, because Lazarus had died. And according to Jewish tradition, that the person who had died would be wrapped with grave cloths from their feet all the way up to their head. And he had been that way then for four days there in that cave until Jesus yells, Lazarus, come forth. And he does. Verse 44 says, And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Now, I want you to Try to picture just a little bit. Hey, Trent, we come help you for a second, would you please? Come, come stand up here if you would. Come right up here. Because I want you to try to picture, I want you to have this visual in your head of what was going on here. Because the Bible describes, you can just stand on that. The Bible describes that he was wrapped in these grave clothes from his feet all the way up to his head. And so according to tradition, this is how then they were laid into a cave or a tomb there. And so here was Lazarus, who had been completely wrapped around with a cloth like this. No, you're just going to stand right there and look pretty. All right. So here he was. Completely wrapped. Yeah, that looks pretty good. So here he was, completely wrapped in these grave clothes. And so Jesus raises him from the dead, and he comes out waddling from the cave there. Again, picture this, because I want you to notice something. He's alive. He's alive. But yet, 
How would you like to go through life continually bound up like this? I think a lot of us, that's how we live life. God does something in us that stirs new life, but yet we still try to go around life still bound up with all of these different things until Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Now, when we talk about healing from God's perspective, I think there's five central truths that we need to establish in our life that kind of sets the precedent and sets us up for the, the miracle working, the healing power of God working in our lives. And that, and that first central truth is this. There's a difference between being alive and being free. There's a difference between being alive and being free. Trent, he's alive under here, right? You are, right? Yeah, I am. Okay. Trent's alive under, under here, but would you call this being free? I mean, he's, to try to waddle through life like this would be very difficult. You can't see, it's hard to talk, it's hard to interact, but so many of us in very figurative ways, this is how we try to live life. We're alive, but we're not really free. Come on, would you would? Put your hands together, clap. <laughs> get you, see if we can get you out of this thing here. I tied you up pretty good here. There you go. Thank you, Trent. <laughs> Thanks. There's a difference between being alive and being free, right? And that's what I want you to understand. There is a, a difference here. I want you to look at the implication of the story. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of your sins. See, the Bible describes over and over and over again that God calls us that we are dead because of our sins. That we're walking around as dead men and women until all of a sudden we have this revelation of who Jesus is and we invite Jesus into our life and new life burdens, births within us. We're forgiven of our sins and we come alive in what God wants to do in our lives. But just like Lazarus, even though you've been forgiven, even though you've been redeemed and made alive again, there still is the issues that we may not completely be set free. And I would suggest, and I would probably guess that many of you have experienced this before, where you've been crying out and you've been, you've been realizing God's done something in my life, but yet you start crying out, say, God, is this all there is to it? I'm, still, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with this failure. I keep struggling with this temptation. I struggle with this addiction. I struggle with these hurts and these failures and all these things. Is this as good as it gets? Well, the answer is No. That's not as good as it gets. But when you're wrapped up with all these grave clothes, it's hard to know what actually being free looks like and feels like. And it's easy to start thinking that being alive and being free is the same thing. When in reality, they are different. And that's why we have to understand this is the first foundational thing of God working in our life. We have to understand there's a difference between being alive and being free. And then here's the second foundational point. And that is being free doesn't necessarily mean the battle is over. Being free doesn't necessarily mean the battle is over. Look at this in John 12, verse 9. It says, Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came 
not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Now think about that, because I think it's kind of a bummer, don't you think? I mean, first of all, you get sick and you die, and you're left in that cave for four days, and you really stink. I mean, that's, that's bad enough, but then a voice comes along and, and starts yelling your name. It's like you wake up and you're, you're, you're alive and you come out of the tomb. Jesus orders them to take away the grave clothes, and then you're off to the showers getting cleaned up to start a whole new chapter to your life. Everything's fantastic, but then you find out there's a bounty on your head. I mean, one day, one moment, you're raised from the dead. You're on every TV show, every network, every radio station. You're the most popular person in all of Israel. The next moment, you turn on the TV and CNN is reporting that the Pope wants you dead. I mean, think of how that, how that would make you feel. Lazarus was alive, but yet the adventure wasn't over. It was actually still just the beginning of what was going to happen in his life. And maybe you can relate to this as well. Because maybe you had the situation that you were struggling with, the situation of heartache, the situ- this issue going on in your life. And you experienced a movement of God in your situation and in your life. The cancer was no longer there. The addiction, you felt like you were delivered from, that relationship was restored, that heartache, that that, that, that deep wound in your heart, that rejection, that pain, you were finally able to forgive, to let go, and to release that. You felt like you'd finally finished with that chapter of your life. You're able to move forward in freedom, but then the doctor spots another tumor. Those voices start coming back into your head. The arguments return back to that relationship And those things that you thought you had forgiven and left alone, all of a sudden, that same wave of anger, that same wave of pain, the same wave of offense and hurt begins to percolate again. You begin to question whether or not God actually ever did something in the first place. And then maybe he did something in the first place, but you're right back in the midst of it. Do you have the hope, do you have the courage, do you have your faith to start battling this thing again? Or is it even worth it. I think so many of us have been there. And that's why it's so imperative and absolutely necessary that we establish not only this foundation that there's a difference between being alive and free, but also this foundation that being free doesn't necessarily mean that the battle's over. That there's still things that we're going to have to face. Which then brings me to the next three foundational points. And we can see this in Luke chapter 9. So go over to Luke chapter 9, verse 37. It says, Now it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain that a great multitude met him. Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, teacher, I implore you, look on my son for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. So I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. Here's the third foundational truth, and that is healing begins with spiritual deliverance. 
Healing begins with spiritual deliverance. Verse 42, it says, then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit. The first thing that Jesus did to bring healing to this boy was that he rebuked the unclean spirit. That's spiritual deliverance. And you'll see this over and over and over throughout the gospels that when, he was con- when Jesus was confronted with people who needed healing, the very first thing that he would do is that he would take care of the junk, the spiritual junk that had accumulated in their life. He would, he would address that, that spiritual bondage that was going on in their life. Think back to Lazarus here, because this is, I think it's a really important point to make, because Satan used sickness and disease to eventually destroy his body to cause him to die. But then miraculously, Jesus raises Lazarus to, de- to, to life after he'd been dead in the grave for four days. But think about this. The reality is, even though Jesus had raised Lazarus back to life, Lazarus still died a second time years later. Everybody that Jesus healed eventually died. Are you with me? Everybody Jesus healed eventually died. And so think about that. We talk about physical healing and emotional healing and relational healing and mental healing. As wonderful as these things are, they're still temporal, right? They'll still pass by just like this, which is why it's really important for us to understand from God's perspective, his number one thing that he wants to address and deal in us is spiritual deliverance because that's the part that's eternal, So much of this life just passes by, but the thing that God wants to make sure of is that the things that are eternal are going to be addressed in your life because those are the things that are going to last forever. And so he wants to make sure that you experience all sorts of spiritual deliverance because that's the part that's going to be eternal. I want you to think about it this way, because what if I told you I was going to give you a gift, but you're going to have to choose between one of two choices. The first choice is that I'm going to give you, you have the option of being able to get a brand new 2016 model car with all the bells and whistles, all the fun things, all the accessories, leather interior, has all the technology, it can drive by itself if you want to drive it by itself. It has the GPS finding, it has all those things. It's your your dream car. It's what you have always wanted. The second option is a little bit less. It's a 2015 Ford Fusion car, and it doesn't really have anything that's automated on it. It's kind of a base model, and so it's a manual transmission, and you have to use the old cranks to, to put down the windows. I, I heard something the other day that cars no longer have those things, and so all of you younger generation don't even know what this is. But this one has it. It's still, you have to crank the windows, and if you're going to lock or unlock the door, you get to reach your arms around to either pull or to, to, to pull up on, on, on your locks. I mean, it's, everything is manual. The only thing that's powered is the engine. And so you have to choose which of these gifts are going to be, either one is going to be yours. Car number one, your dream. Car number two, the 2015 Ford Fusion. You're going to have to make a choice here. But here's the thing you need to know if you choose car number one. You're only going to be able to have it for one year. And it's all yours for one year. It's all paid for. You don't have to worry about it. But after a year, after driving it for a year, you have to give it back. 
where this car number two you will have for your entire life. As a matter of fact, there's a guarantee on anything goes wrong for your entire lifetime, it will be replaced. And so it'll be a car that you'll be able to have for the rest of your life. So the question will be, are you going to choose car number one or car number two? It's kind of an interesting choice, isn't it? But before you make your conclusion on that, I think for a lot of us, we would probably lean towards car number one because it's our dream. It's the fancy thing that we have always wanted. And, and, and so as a result, I think so many of us, we, we choose car number one because we struggle with understanding the big picture. We struggle with things because we, we want what we want when we want them. We want immediate gratification. We want that thing that we've desired all along. And we'll take the short-term solution even if the end costs us. And so we choose car number one. I think the reality is we do this in life all the time. We make those choices all the time. We think that the truly most serious problem and issues that we face are physical problems or mental problems or emotional problems. If I could just feel better. If I just didn't hurt anymore, if I had just had enough money, if I didn't have that, that struggle, if I didn't have that struggle with that temptation or that addiction, you know, if I didn't have to deal with that person, then life would be fantastic, right? And so we take car number one. Now, please don't miss what I'm trying to talk to you about here because if you want to not just be alive, to, to be really free, and if you want to be continually victorious in all the battles that you face, then don't choose the lesser of things. Don't choose the lesser of things. Start with the greatest. Start with the things that are going to be eternal. Because you know what? That's where God starts. Of everything going on in your life, the most important thing, as, much, as important as the physical and emotional, God is really interested in those, and God's going to help you with those things. But don't ever forget, the most important thing, God wants to make sure your eternity is secure. He wants to make sure that you know him, and if you were to die tomorrow, that you would spend eternity with him. That's his number one thing. And so he wants to make sure that you experience spiritual deliverance above and beyond all of the things. And then the fourth foundational point is that healing does include physical healing. Healing does include physical healing. It's right here in Luke chapter 9, verse 42. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child. It's all through this book that when Jesus came, he demonstrated this fact and this truth that God is still in the healing business. And if for some reason somebody lied to you and says that God doesn't heal anymore, you need to let go of that lie. Because he still heals. He's the same, same God yesterday, today, and forever. There's no difference in who he is. And everything Jesus came, when you look at his story, when you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see him constantly healing people because this is just who God is. Yes, God is interested in eternity, but he also wants to heal you physically right here and right now. Isaiah 58, verse 8 says, Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear, then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. If, you un if you're taking notes, underline the word healing. Because that word healing in the original Hebrew language that it was written in is the word arukah, which means restoring to soundness, wholeness, perfected. 
restoring to soundness, wholeness, perfected. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing, the restoration of you body, soul, and spirit, restoring to soundness, restoring to wholeness, restoring to perfection. This is what God wants to do. And the interesting thing about this word in Hebrew, it's not a short-term word. It has everything to do with longevity. God wants to heal you now, and he wants that healing to last for your life. In 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, it says the same thing. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. That word health in the original Greek language is the word hugiaino, and it has the same meaning as the Old Testament word aruko, and it means to be in health, to be safe, to be sound, to be whole. God desires for you to be whole. God desires for you to be healed. He desires for there to be a wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. And so everything that Jesus came to do on the cross while he was here through his death and resurrection was to make holistic healing available to all who believe, spirit, soul, and body. Isaiah 53, verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are what's the word that's what Jesus came to do to bring healing to our lives spirit soul and body which then brings me the fifth foundational truth which is healing is also available for relational restoration healing is also available for for relational restoration God not only wants to bring healing to your spirit soul and body but he also wants to bring healing to your relationships. Look again, Luke 9, verse 42. It says, then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. If you're taking notes, underline that last phrase, because it's a great phrase, and gave him back to his father. Now try to, um, try to picture what was going on here, because picture the relationship that these two had, father and son. This son was demonically possessed. And so as a result, this this child suffered unfathomable um, experiences of emotion and and, uh, um, all sorts of spiritual activity and and physical abuse. And so think of how hard it would have been as a father and son to try to to actually have a great relationship. I mean, do you think they could just go to the backyard and and play catch with each other? Or, Or do you think that they could go to a, a lake and have a quiet afternoon of fishing? Or do you think they could just sit on the porch and watch the chariot races go, go by? Because just as soon as they would try to do some sort of bonding activity, the father would look over to his son and see his son's eyes roll back into his head and begin to, to foam out of the mouth and these demons beginning to speak through his mouth and making these noises and the demon would thrash him on the ground and begin to abuse his body. This, these demons were destroying his son. But then Jesus stops by. And in verse 42, Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. What an incredible statement here. Jesus gave the father his son, that he gave his son back to this father. Not like the son had been gone for just a couple minutes and said, I found your boy, here he is. No, this was 
Here is your boy. This, this boy who you held in your arms as, as a, as a, when he was just a little baby. This boy that you would look in his eyes and have so much hope and imagine what his future would be like. This boy who you loved and you held to your chest and you imagine what your life would be with your son. This boy who you never thought was gonna, you were ever going to have a relationship with, I give him back to you. He is yours. Here is your Son, this is what Jesus did for that father. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, friend to friend. God wants to bring healing to our relationships and to healing to your heart, regardless of the damage that was done. Regardless of the years that have gone by, regardless of what Satan might have done to create destruction there. Listen to me, folks. There is hope for healing. There is hope for your healing. I want you to listen to these words from my pastor friend up in Wisconsin who lost his son. Let's do his words. If you are in pain today, if you have experienced loss, if you have experienced heartache, I want you to know, though you do not understand, though no words can ever find their way into the depths of your soul, though your pain is indescribable, you're going to make it through this valley. Our Heavenly Father will not be angry with you when you fail, stumble, or struggle. He has all the time, resources, and patience in the universe to extend to you. When we stop wrestling, the tranquil rest and restoration of God will begin to flow our direction. The throbbing wound deep within will slowly begin to heal through his tender mercy. Bask in his love and let him hold you. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can bring healing to your hurt? Do you believe that God can bring healing to that wound and that damage, that violation that's happened to you? Do you believe that God can heal you physically? Do you believe that God can heal those relationships in your life? When you came in here this morning, you should have received one of these little cards. Healer. If you didn't get a card here this morning, I want you to raise your hand because I'm going to ask the ushers to help. And so if you didn't get, get a card, I want you to raise your hand if you would please. So if you didn't get one, go ahead and raise your hand real high. The ushers are going to help. Just keep them um, up high so the ushers can give them to you. And when you get one, then you can put your hand back down. But I want, you to, I want you to listen to me for a second here while they're passing these out. Because I want you to think about what is possible. I want you to imagine what God could do in and through your life. Maybe some of you here, you believe that God does miracles. You believe that God still heals. You believe that God can restore things in your life and he can heal that hurt and he can heal that pain. Some of you, you're right there. You, that's, who, that's who you know God to be. But for others of you, this is a stretch. You've never experienced God as healer. You've never experienced healing in your soul. You've never experienced healing in your thoughts and your emotions. You've never experienced healing in your body. And so this idea that God is healer may be really taking you out of just your comfort zone here. But I want you maybe to imagine something. I want you to imagine the possibility. I want you to imagine the possibility that everything that I said here today is true. I want you to imagine the possibility that God still does miracles in our life today. 
I want you to imagine the possibility that God still heals physical bodies and he heals and restores relationships. I want you to imagine that to be possible. And if that's possible, then what miracle do you need in your life? What healing do you need in your life? I want you to just take a moment here and I want you to write down what that might be. What healing you need, what healing you desire, what miracle that you need from God to do, whether it's spirit, soul, or body, whether it's relational. What is that miracle? What is that healing that you need? And then how we're gonna end our service here this morning is just a little bit different. We always do communion at the end of service. But I want you to do it just a little bit differently. I want you to take a minute and I want you to be honest and open about what healing do you need? What miracle do you need? You can put your name on it or you don't have to put your name on it whatsoever. Whether it's relationships or what's, go- what's going on in your own personal struggles in life. You can put your name on it or you don't have to put your name on it whatsoever. But I want you to take a minute and just fill in that. What healing or other miracle do you desire for your life? And then when you're done, when you're finished with this card, I want to ask you just to bring it forward and just leave it here at the altar. What I want to do over these next six weeks, we're going to just focus on God as healer. I want you to see God maybe in a different light. I want want to expose you to the possibilities of God still being the miracle-working God that maybe you have read about in Scripture but not yet experienced. I want to help you see that just a little bit. I want you, we're going to share stories. We're going to, you're going to hear testimonies of other people. But we're going to spend these next six weeks. And I want you to start walking through and allowing God to he, bring healing to you. Many of you ex, have experienced just personally hurt and violation and rejection and pain. And it's affecting you. And all sorts of things that are happening in life right now keep poking at that. And you wonder, can I ever get through this grief? Can I ever get through this pain? I want you to see God as healer. And so just take a moment, put this on there. And when, when you're done filling that out, just bring this and just lay it here on the altar. I'll, I will personally, I'm gonna pray for these over the next six weeks. We're gonna pray for God's interaction and intervention in your life. And then at, when you're finished with this, just lay it here on the altar. And then go ahead to either side and take communion. We're not gonna dismiss by rose for communion. We're going to just let you get up and move around as you're ready. The worship team is just going to lead us in as we do this, all right? So let's do this together.